You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702 Afternoons. With Relebo Gilema Boja. All right, it is time for our car feature for today. And we take your calls on 011-8830702, your SMSs 31702, your tweets at Relebo M at Radio 702, using the hashtag 702 Afternoons and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Uh, joining us for this conversation on um, the crashology and ethics of road use. We have post-doctorate researcher at Priceless in the Witt School of Health um, and that is joining us for the conversation and co-founder of the Road Ethics Project. Dr. Lee Randall, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Rele Bohile, and hello to all the listeners. And some of the listeners might be like me who went to go and Google the definition of crashology <laughs> and came up with the titles of various songs. <laughs> so let's make yeah, that our starting I think point. <laughs> is very much a made up word actually contributed by a colleague of mine. Yes. But I would say it's really about getting to grips with what causes crashes how we can make them less serious and ultimately how we can stop them from happening. And just to give you in a mouthful my background, I'm an occupational therapist and I've spent most of my career in the post-crash space, working mm. with the survivors, seeing the impact on them, their families, their workplaces, their colleagues, etc. Um, and that led me to knock on the door of the Steve Biko Center for Bioethics a few years back and enrolled for a PhD where I looked at the bioethics or the ethics of road safety in the minibus taxi industry. And your guest yesterday, David um, was such a great example of Ubuntu ethics, somebody who thinks in terms of community, somebody who sees the divine in everyone around him. And he's also a fantastic example of a vulnerable road user, Mm. along with anybody else who cycles, who walks, or who part walks and part uses public transport on our roads, particularly minibus taxis. And and thank you so much for, for, for mentioning that, because... I honestly feel like I'm going to carry the warmness in my heart for a very long time from yesterday. I've had so many people that were listening into such a touching conversation, but agreed for somebody who spends four hours cycling on the road. Um, it, it really, really is important that we take into consideration those um, ethics of road use. So let's talk about the, the ethics of road use. What exactly does that mean? Okay, so ethics is really the study of right and wrong. So what John Pullman said earlier about what's right for him and his wife may not be right for us was very pertinent. And the ancient philosophers started by asking, how should a person live? What makes for a good life? And also, how should we live together? So what a road ethicist like myself is interested in is how should we share the road traffic system together? When we range from a toddler pedestrian to a pantechnicon driver, to a donkey cart, a jogger, a bus user, a truck driver. So, you know, we have this incredible diversity of human road users, and we also have an incredible diversity of road types and qualities, and also vehicle types and qualities, from luxury SUVs down to skorokoros. Yes. And so road ethics is really about how do we give everybody a fair chance of survival and some ability to move around safely within the system. 
that doesn't depend on our economic status, for instance. Mm. And our road traffic system in South Africa is unfortunately very stuck in a lot of apartheid realities. The way it's set up still caters strongly to an elite minority, those people who own private vehicles. Mm. It generally has a windshield bias. In other words, it thinks first of drivers of vehicles and Mm. only as an afterthought of people like David and other cyclists and pedestrians. And it's an ethical travesty that the majority of South Africans using public transport are traveling in the minibus taxi industry, which receives 1% of government subsidies. And in a city like Joburg, we have multiple bus systems and we have things like the Gau train. Um, and they receive a far greater share of subsidies, even though they carry a far lower share of riders. So we have astonishingly full Putco buses, for instance, but on the other hand, astonishingly empty Gau train buses. Mm. Now, those services are getting ridership guarantees or patronage guarantees, they're called, where they're paid from the public purse for operating, regardless of how many people or how few people they ferry. Minibus taxis, on the other hand, are privately owned and are profit-driven. So there's a huge pressure to try and earn enough to make the services viable. And I think all South Africans have seen how the taxi fleet is aging. Mm. And driver behavior, if we care to scratch beneath the surface, which is what I did in my PhD research, is very strongly governed by the conditions of work of the taxi drivers and even a bit by their passengers' behavior and certainly by some of the behavior they um, experience at the hands of the law enforcers. Fundamentally, though, as well, the road system is not set up for minibus taxis, their users and their drivers. Mm -hmm. They don't have safe stopping places for the most part. Um, So we have a huge proportion of our traveling public traveling in a mode that is not optimal, that is unsafe, and that even though Minister Mbalula said it would have operational subsidies in place by April 2021, that still isn't the case. So I want to just mention two key findings from my whole period of research, which involved surveying and interviewing minibus taxi drivers, but also looking at what is global best practice. What should we be aspiring to achieve in Mm -hmm. our road traffic system to move the majority of people safely to their destinations? And the first thing I want to say is that it's very clear to me that minibus taxi drivers are basically an indicator species. They're kind of the canary in the coal mine. Looking at how they behave, how they drive, tells us a whole lot about what is going on in the system more broadly that they are part of. And what I concluded about the system, and particularly the South African system, is that rather than obeying the principles of Vision Zero, which says that all deaths and serious injuries on our roads are ethically unacceptable and must be avoided, And rather than obeying the principles of the safe system model of road safety, which talks about all the different elements that have to work in concert to ensure safe mobility is the output for the majority of people, most or all of the time. Mm -hmm. Instead, our system 
is riddled with flaws. At every level of the system, we have flaws. And so the logical output of the system is an unusually high level of crashes for a middle-income country. And also, as we've seen really heartbreakingly in the last month or so, incredibly severe crashes with high levels of loss of life, particularly when buses and minibus taxis are involved. And so our system is crashogenic. That's, That's the term I coined as a result of my research. We have a crashogenic system and we have to actually start interrupting all of the areas where our system is not working, Mm. including how do people get onto the roads as drivers? Remember, vehicles are the killing machines on the roads. So, 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 Doctor, what what I'd like to do, and and because I want to really delve into the specifics of what you're talking about before we jump into how we fix it now, knowing what we know, we do need to take a break. We are taking your calls, 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line, 072-702-1702. 702. The car feature. We are in conversation with Dr. Lee Randall and we are talking about crashology and ethics of road use. Now, doctor, um, before you continue, because obviously you were touching on some of the major challenges that we are facing with government making certain promises of things that are not being resolved, us knowing that we are basically at the mercy of the taxi industry because so many people are fully dependent on the taxi industry. But we received quite an interesting voice note, Doctor, that I think we need to take into consideration in this conversation. Good day, Rilebukhile. It's Gordon and Boxburg here. Um, regarding the topic with road safety and all that, um, I just want to find out, how do we accommodate these people that are doing recycling with the huge trolleys or the trolleys with those huge bags behind them, you know, that that are almost the half the size of a car, you know, and you can't pass, and when you do pass, you're facing oncoming traffic. So I just want to know, how, how do we fit them into the system? How Couldn't we get a solution for them? Such a good question. And I mean, doctor, already we're talking about the challenges we're currently facing. There's this new element of those that are trying to make a living by recycling and are transporting their goods on these trolleys that literally have seen some that are traveling up to 60 kilometers per hour. Yes, with no steering mechanism and no braking, or braking system. Yeah, it's a perfect example of where we need to adopt some sort of Ubuntu ethics because those people are rendering a service second to none, and in the process also uh, empowering themselves to survive financially. So I think one of the critical elements of road traffic systems around the world that causes loss of life is speed unsafe for the circumstances. And so what we like to say from the Road Ethics Project is don't just do what is legal. You know, it might be legal to drive 60 kilometers an hour past a school, past a church in a high pedestrian area, or past one of those recycling trolley pushers. But is it ethical? Mm. So we we say, you know, we need to awaken our inner traffic cops. We We tend to, as a society, blame a lack of enforcement for a lot of the ills on the road without recognizing that we actually have to have some sort of inner moral guiding sense. And part of that involves recognizing the conditions under which other road users are existing. I mean, those guys are not choosing to take their lives into their hands, mostly. They're doing it out of necessity Mm. in the same way that a lot of minibus taxi driver behavior can be explained on the basis of what 
both is part of the culture of the industry, but also is part of the necessity that they face in terms of how they earn their livelihoods. Um, so a, a broader sense of other people's intrinsic human worth and a recognition of just how dangerous vehicles are, particularly when driven at speeds, certainly can start to shift paradigms and change behavior in a way that can save lives and also prevent serious injuries. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got a call, Bashir in Lanesia. Hi, Bashir. Bashir? Sorry, can you just start again? We didn't hear you. Hello? Yes, go ahead. Hello, good day, good day madam. Uh, firstly, I would like to congratulate you tremendously on your initiative. And uh, also, my name is Bashir. I would also like to say how I put very well into your initiative and your plan. I'm an educationalist. I have written a detailed manual mm. on road safety. And I believe that from grade one, maybe even sooner, children must be taught the basics of road safety. I, I teach matrix, and none of them know. It is embarrassing, it is humiliating that oil is lighter than water. So with the first rainfalls, what are the hazards of the road? Mm-hmm. At matric level, our kids cannot give us that type of an explanation. Mm. So I have written a, a, a detailed, detailed manual that has to be used from grade one to matric. And uh, if the department uses it, I'm very, very arrogant about it. Mm. I'm quite certain that uh, the carnage on our roads will be reduced by by tremendous proportions. Mm. And I just hope that if I could team up with uh, this lady that's on a, on a, on a, on a show mm. and uh, maybe address the department together to say the absolute necessity mm. of this thing meted out in our schools. All right, Bashir, I'm passing you back on to our producer, Kabazela. Let's see how he can connect you with the doctor. Uh, doctor, before um, uh, you continue, quick one uh, that has come, come up on WhatsApp. Eman Haman Skral says, trains, surely we need many, many trains. What's the doctor's take on how important getting the middle to upper class to move to that mode of transport in and around the metropolitan areas? Is this even feasible or there's no real desire by our government, by our government to run a long-term project with the outlook of reducing vehicles on the road um and and for me personally doctor the trains is just are just not feasible for me who even all the places i drive to are quite close by public transport is 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 a challenge for me in this country having traveled abroad and seeing how accessible and yes granted you've explained our history and and how we got here does it make sense for us to have more trains That's a really good question, and I'm not a transport engineer, but my research has brought me up against that field many times, and I think the answer, the simple answer is we need an optimal mix of modes. So if people uh, have a close destination, make walking safe, easy, feasible. Um, If they need to get to a further destination, yes, of course, trains should be part of the mix, certainly in big cities and certainly for long distances. And what we've seen in our train sector is really soul-destroying because we used to have those services working to a certain degree, even if they didn't cater to everybody. So the mix of modes and making all of them safe and affordable 
is really, really important. And I just want to pick up on, on what Bashir in Indonesia said. Mm. Um, in, in Germany, an average school child is going to get something like 30 hours of road safety education per grade throughout their schooling. Now, they become crashologists. They become not just people who can wrote, um, repeat road rules, but they become insightful or what a Swedish philosopher calls highly constructed human beings who are really equipped with insights before they get into the road traffic system. In South Africa, an average school kid might be lucky to get one or two hours of road safety instruction during their entire basic education. Maybe private school kids are a bit more privileged, mm. but it is a very, very important, important part of fixing our crashogenic system. However, it's not the be-all and end-all. We also must fix infrastructure, and we've also got to pay attention to vehicles. So uh, stopping our focus only at the level of human behavior is never going to be adequate. We've got to look at the triad of vehicles, roads, and human road users and tackle all three parts of that triangle in order to make the system safer for everyone. Dr. Lee, thank you so, so much. I think you've really given us some information of what to think about. It's a pity we didn't get to truly unpack what we can do about it now because we've run out of time. But maybe we can revisit this discussion. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Dr. Lee Randall, postdoctorate researcher at Priceless and the Witz School of Health and the co-founder of Road Ethics Project.